From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. While the dust is still settling on the basketball season, the focus of Gator Nation shifts toward the bevy of spring sports, including one mostly consumed in the fall. On today's show, we'll talk to FloridaGators.com's senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry about their takeaways from football's first scrimmage, the early off-season developments for basketball, baseball's return to form, a new hill to climb for gymnastics at NCAA regionals, and the pros and cons of the one-and-done era of college basketball. Plus, freshman sensation Trinity Thomas chats with Gator Vision's Shelby Grenath about her first year as a collegiate athlete, her time with USA Gymnastics, and starting the path toward a national championship. But first, with the Orange and Blue debut a little over a week away, football has intensified spring practices, including the first scrimmage late last week. So to open our roundtable, we asked Scott what he observed during the initial mashing of the pads. You know, the scrimmage really focused on the quarterbacks and the offensive line, just getting a look at that young unit up front. Wasn't a lot of running. It was You could tell the coaches wanted to kind of uh, test out some of those young offensive linemen that we talked about last week and, and see what kind of chemistry they're developing there because the parts around that group is are pretty solid, including the quarterbacks. I mean, Felipe Franks took the majority of the number one reps and looked good. Emory Jones and Kyle Trask got a lot of work behind him and both had their moments. I think, you know, statistically, Trask, I think, had the best day. Emory was only, I think, 5 of 16. Franks was 9 of 15. Um, there was some missed throws, so nothing alarming there, not unusual. I did see an offensive line that you can tell why Dan Mullen and John Hevesy have cautioned that this spring is really about trying to solidify that unit and finding the right pieces there because uh, the defense certainly, I thought, won that battle on a consistent basis after the first string. I mean, first string, you're looking at an offensive line out that other than Nick Buchanan, there's not a lot of experience up there at center. And then, you know, left tackle, Richard Garage is working a lot there. Left guard, Christopher Blige. Right guard, Brett Heggie is, a, is someone that most fans will be familiar with. And then on right tackle, a newcomer, uh, Michael Tarquin, a true freshman, is getting a lot of work. So, I'm sorry, left tackle. Uh, it's just a, a, a unit that there's a lot of work there, a lot of question marks. And I think at this point, you know, you asked what did you learn about the first scrimmage. I learned that they are what they are around that offensive line. I think they're a good team. I think they have a lot of good players, a, a lot of key pieces returning. But up front, there's a lot of question marks. Uh, they have some bodies. They have some talent. But they need some work. As far as guys who are no longer going to be helping the Gators on the field, but did help in the past, Pro Day was held last week, right about the time that we uh, we released last week's episodes. Didn't have a chance to talk about it. But Scott, curious uh, in terms of everyone wants to know whose stock is rising, whose stock is falling on a day-to-day basis. There's a whole cottage industry that's been created around those questions. But from your perspective, looking at UF's Pro Day, which guys helped themselves and which guys maybe didn't? Well, you know, offensive lineman Jawan Taylor certainly didn't hurt his stock. He came in there after a good combine and chatter about him being a potential 
top 10 pick in the draft. And I don't think we saw anything that would refute that at Gators Pro Day. Uh, the scouts, NFL personnel, Bill Pelichick, the Patriots coach was there. I saw a few other offensive coordinators. Every team was represented. And obviously, Jawan Taylor was a big focal point for those in attendance. And I thought he handled his uh, his day really well. Did the offensive line drills under Dante uh, Scarnecchio, the Patriots offensive line coach, really worked him pretty hard. Uh, people were paying close attention to him. And uh, the buzz afterward was that Taylor did well. You know, is he going to be a top 10 pick? I don't know. But he has certainly put himself in position to be a high first-round draft choice and make a lot of money. Uh, later this month when the draft happens. And he explained that after the season, you got to remember the guys who left early to five underclassmen, it was only a couple of hours after the uh, Peach Bowl win in Atlanta that Jawan sent a tweet out saying that he was going pro. He was the first to do so after Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who did it before the bowl game, which was a little unusual. But right after the game, Jawan Taylor said, I'm out. He broke camp and went over to Pensacola and started working out at Exos, uh, focusing on what he needed to do to elevate his status in the draft. And three months later, Adam, he looks like you can tell the physical changes in Jawan Taylor. I, I was impressed. I mean, he, he moves around, looks really good for a guy who checked in at Pro Day, I think 6'5", 314 pounds, mm. bench pressed the 225 pounds. He did that 24 times. Wow. So in good shape there. Him and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who, who you know, really helped himself by winning MVP in the Peach Bowl. Uh, I, I think they were the winners of the day. I think the question mark is still out there on Jakiah Polite. His status soared, you know, during the season into the talk of a potential number one uh, draft pick, first rounder. It dropped after the combine due to some questions about his, really just his physical shape and perhaps a hamstring injury in the way he handled some interviews. He did the drills at Pro Day, still didn't do much with the 40, skipped on his second try. I thought he he did a really good job in answering questions with the media and kind of taking ownership of just how maybe he, he took a misstep or two at the combine in terms of not being mentally prepared on how to handle that environment, something that he's learning from and working on. Uh, to me, he's a classic example of, you know, there's going to be a lot of chatter about him, Adam, going up to the draft. Is he going to be a first round or a second round? Or has he, has he dropped all the way to the third round? It, it won't surprise me if he still goes higher than maybe some projections have because all it takes is one team. And at this point, there's a lot of people behind the scenes, I'm sure, jockeying maybe publicly or with information that, that's just the way it works. I mean, there's a lot of misinformation in, in the draft on, on these players, especially the ones who are maybe tumbling in the public's view, like polite. Uh, a team can see that as a still, or you'll know if he does fall late to the second round or third round, all the concerns that maybe we're hearing about now, hey, they were legit. Nobody wanted to step up and take him. But you're seeing as kind of a resurgence now. Uh, I saw where Chris Collins were tweeting mm-hmm. yesterday, watching a video of a polite and saying, look, <laughs> this guy is a football player. You can skip on him if you like, but this guy is going to make a, some team a very good defensive in, in the NFL. So it, it's going to be curious to see how he plays out. And beyond those three, I mean, those, those three that players we just talked about, those are the, those are the highlights for the Gators. There were a lot of other guys that are working out. 
Jordan Scarlett and Voshan Joseph. I think both uh, will likely get drafted. And uh, but yeah, the draft's almost upon us, man. So it's been a little over a week since uh, basketball bowed out of the NCAA tournament, and obviously still a lot of madness going on. But the focus now for the Gators is what comes next. And Chris, I know there's there's a lot swirling around right now, not necessarily stuff we can talk about directly, but Mike White did speak last week to kind of address the media at the end of the year and and talked about you know some some big changes for the program, especially when it comes to personnel. Yeah, there is a lot of madness rolling around. That was a one remarkable weekend of basketball uh, we just got done with, and obviously looking forward to another one, even though the, the Gators aren't in. But um, let's uh, give a shout out while we're talking about that to uh, former Gator Brandon Francis. Yes, ESPN ranked the 25 best players in the Final Four, and he checked in at 21, <laughs> which is really remarkable. Uh, what a what a path that guy took. He sat out his first year. He wasn't even allowed to practice first semester with the team because of his uh, academic situation. He improved that, was cleared to practice. Then his first year was Mike White's first year. Um, opted for the change of scenery, ended at Texas Tech. And, uh, you know, the guy's going to a Final Four now, a year after eliminating his former team from the NSA tournament. So what a roundabout, uh, remarkable uh, trail he took to get to that point um that's funny because i i I was just talking to the coaches this week and they just you know that brandon francis uh it didn't work out here but he was always a a a good guy to be around and a a really good teammate and um you know i think a lot of people are happy for him with regards to florida basketball program yeah there's some stuff can't talk about relative to rosters until some names are on the dotted lines but uh last week i think we addressed the issue of uh the three transfers and Mike White did meet with the media um, after uh, that all that news broke. And you know, the most uh, apropos or profound thing or just accurate thing, he said, that's, that's college basketball now. Mm-hmm. Guys find uh, other avenues to pursue. And the, uh, the way to go about it is, has been made easier by the NCAA, which I think is good to some degree. Uh, Michael Koru, good luck to him. DeAndre Ballard, good luck to him. Keystone, good luck to him after certainly after he rehabs that thing. Uh, we don't know where they're going to go. Nobody does. Um, but there's a lot of names in that transfer portal. Um, I want to say it's upwards of uh, 400 or something, mm-hmm. some ridiculous number like that. And obviously there's somewhere in that 400, somewhere in that portal are probably a couple names that are going to end up here. And that's just college basketball in 2019 also. And if I had to guess, Florida's uh, on the hunt uh, in the market for somebody to help them in the front court. And whoever that guy is, somebody out there, uh, whether they're in the portal or not, it's just there's just a lot of unknowns right now uh, relative to this basketball team. But if you look at what Florida would have returning in the front court, you're talking about Gorjak Gak. Didn't play all year. Medical redshirt. Talking about Dante Bassett is a, a, a 11 and a half minute uh, game guy. And uh, Isaiah Stokes, who was somebody who discovered um, conditioning and fitness about three quarters of the way through the season on his way to losing uh, 30 pounds, I think, the last two months. Mm. Um, he was certainly a guy who made a couple flashy plays, but he was also a guy who was unplayable in some matchups uh, in the SEC tournament, in the NSA tournament because of his inability to move laterally and get up and down the floor. And really um, he can't rebound. So those guys all have another off season to improve their post uh, skills, improve a lot of things. And Gorshak Yak has been cleared. He's out there running around a full go and has been and was probably for the last three weeks of the regular season. 
Um, Dante Bassett is a better player now than he was a year ago. He was a better player last year than he was a year before that. I expect him to get better. Good culture guy. Stokes is somebody who just needs to maintain the status quo in terms of uh, his commitment to his conditioning and his commitment to his basketball and being where he needs to be uh, and being there on time. Once the team adjourns, you're only allowed so much time with them. So, you know, guys got to make some good decisions about their time management and their responsibility and accountability. So um, that'll be something that bears watching for uh, for Isaiah Stokes. But uh, but when they do get back at him, those guys are going to have some unknown uh, uh, post players to compete with playing time. Guys who probably are established and have done some things in, you know, decent levels of college basketball. Uh, we just don't know who they are. And that's one of the fascinating things about the offseason. So I was able to actually get a, a courtside look at both Trey Mann and Scotty Lewis, who are coming in. First McDonald's All-Americans since Casey Hill and Chris Walker came to the Gators. And I was very impressed, Chris, especially with Scotty Lewis, just the explosiveness that he showed against a lot of guys who are going to be playing at Duke, Kentucky, UNC, you name it. It, it really was a window into the kind of talent this program is bringing in. Yeah, and let's just say right off the bat that Scotty Lewis could have played at Duke, North Carolina, or Kentucky. I mean, he chose to play at Florida. And uh, Mike White was very happy with some of the sequences that you saw. He had 10 points. He didn't start the game. He had 10 points in the game. He had four steals in the game. And what they like about him is his motor. And what they like about him is his willingness to play defense. And he will do that. And he is long. He's wildly athletic. I think we people that follow him on Twitter or saw some of those retweets of his uh, exploits at the dunk contest uh, can attest to that with regards to Trey Mann, he was probably I imagine he was frustrated with his playing time I think he only saw 16 minutes in a game he only I think he hit his uh his last two shots he hit it five feet behind NBA line three-pointer <laughs> with about a I want to say with two minutes left in the game or something like that he ended up with five points but he projects as a combo guard the last couple of years Florida has not had a backup point guard in the true sense uh last year not with Chris Chioza and this year not with Andrew Nemhart. it was Kayvon Allen and that's just not Something he's cut out to do, either with his skill set or with his uh, with his leadership abilities. Um, Trey Mann is is going to be that guy next year. He's going to be the backup point guard, and I imagine he'll come here thinking he's he, he has a chance to be more than a backup point guard, maybe a two guard or or, or something like that. But he's certainly capable of doing both. He's an incredible scorer. That's his strong suit. He's a volume shooter. We haven't had that around here in a while, and he's certainly somebody who's who can possibly fill that role. So. It's exciting when you think about two McDonald's All-Americans when there hadn't been any for the last six years. Now you get two of those guys, and I tell you, uh, again, going back to what I said earlier, we don't know who else is coming in. Uh, we haven't even mentioned Omar Payne, the guy who's coming in with Trey Mann and with Scotty Lewis. Those three guys are going to have some more incoming freshman classmates, so you're going to need your, uh, your flip card and your <laughs> roster when you start watching the Gators next season, to be sure. On to some baseball, Scott. Last week we talked about the struggle for the Gators in the SEC and how they, you know, there were a lot of question marks in the first few weekends about how they performed. A really important answer that they had last weekend, sweeping Alabama and, and kind of using a feel-good weekend to try and get the conversation moving in the right direction. Well, they needed a feel-good weekend after that feel-bad weekend up at Vanderbilt. That was ugly, uh, getting outscored 34-6. to Come back home, one and five in the SEC. Alabama comes to town, a team that, on paper at least, was twenty and six and off to a really good start. The Gators took care of business, though, and swept them. And exactly what they needed to do, Adam, and they did it back to their what this program's known for: a good starting pitching. Nothing better than what we saw on Friday night in the opener. Tommy Mace went the distance, pitched a three hitter and a 
what a four to one win. I think he struck out seven. He was in command from the start. One thing I've seen about Tommy Mace is you know he's really further solidified his grip on that number one starter spot on Friday night, and and that's what number one starters do, Adam. Uh, you know the Gators needed something positive, and and you know if you're Friday night guy, he's in that role for a reason to get a, a weekend series off off to a good start, number one, and to prevent perhaps an extended bad streak, which. You know, they were on, although they did come back from a Vanderbilt win against Florida State in Jacksonville last week. I think, uh, you know, to get back into the SEC play and, and try to climb the standings some, I mean, one in five is not where Florida's used to being. So they sweep the series. Uh, you know, I thought other than Mays, the big story of the weekend was Sunday, uh, Hunter Ruth coming in. After Jack left, which uh, developed a blister and pitching seven and two thirds innings. So that's got to plant a little different perception of Hunter Ruth and Kevin O'Sullivan's mind on how we might see him being used going forward. He was a guy coming off Tommy John surgery, pitched early in the season and relief some, but to come in out of the bullpen on emergency duty and and go seven and two third innings to clinch a series or to sweep a series. That's something that maybe they can uh, use to build on, obviously. And so a good weekend for the Gators. And now it's back to, you know, see what happens if they can uh, continue to win. They got to go to Ole Miss this weekend, a tough place to play. Uh, it's another road challenge in the SEC. And they'll obviously go to Oxford looking for better results than than their uh, trip to Nashville to face Vanderbilt. And if, uh, if they can win that series, then they're, what, back to 500 in the SEC after that 1-5 start. But that's a big if. We'll see how it shakes out. But they did what they had to do, Adam, in, in that home series against Bama. This weekend is the start of NCAA championships for gymnastics. And maybe the most interesting part of that is that the format has really completely changed. So, Chris, I know you're working on a piece on this. Can you tell us about how the format has changed and, and why it's going to make the championship a totally different experience for teams? Gymnastics is going to take an altogether different look. This is something that I guess the, the keepers of the sport, overseers, if you will, have been trying to do for a while because I guess the coaches have been asking for it. They're only going to have four teams competing. So that means if anyone who's gone to a, a gymnastics meet at, at that level, whether you talk about regionals or uh, I would guess the SEC also, I've not uh, been to an SEC uh, meet, the SEC championship rather, and nationals, of course, which I've been to. There are only going to be four teams competing, which means there's no by rotation. So there's no time where two of the teams are going to be sitting in the locker room. I wouldn't say twiddling their thumbs because I know these uh, gymnasts don't go in their toilet their thumbs. They get bouncy and they listen to loud music and stuff like that. But Florida will be going to Corvallis. And now, so there's four regions, Adam. They're in Athens. They're in Baton Rouge. They're in uh, Ann Arbor and then Corvallis. Florida will be obviously in Oregon. But at each of those venues will be nine teams. And the first night, there's going to be like a, a play-in between the mm. bottom two seeds. And that team will go on and compete in the next day. And there'll be two sessions of four teams each. Again, uh, four teams only, so no rotations. Normally, it's six teams. It has been historically. Uh, the, the two highest scorers from those two uh, sessions will advance to the next day. And there'll be four in a championship round. And the two highest scores of that will go on to nationals. Uh, I believe the dates are April 19th and 20th in Fort Worth, Texas. And at nationals, you'll have eight teams. 
okay, the two high-scoring teams from the four regions. And there they'll go through the same thing, a two-day format, uh, two sessions to begin with. The two advance to this to the championship round and then four teams in the championship. And, again, it'll go much faster. It's a much better uh, operation relative to TV. And we all know that that has nothing to do with anything, right? <laughs> um, it'll be more watchable from that standpoint. And then nobody will be singing there, let's say, first-come people to the college gymnastic world who are watching this national event now will be saying, well, why isn't the other team competing? Well, they'll, they'll all be doing something. Um, there won't be uh, two teams sitting out uh, rotation. So uh, it'll be more compact. It'll be it'll be more structured, more organized. And there won't be some dead time for um, the athletes to have to like exit and then sit there and take themselves down emotionally and maybe physically and then have to get themselves back up to go out there and tumble on the floor or flip around on the bars. Moving on to our PAT this week, I want to talk about one and dones because obviously with Zion Williamson, a lot of people think he may be the best one and done that's ever been through college basketball, and he may be the last of the great ones if this rule change happens for the NBA draft coming up in the next couple of years. So the debate is now, are one and dones good for basketball or not? Because now that people are thinking about the chance of not seeing a guy like Zion, they're like, wait, I kind of enjoyed watching that. I'll say personally, I wanted Duke to keep winning because it was really cool watching a dominant next level talent compete on that stage. But not everybody agrees with that. So what I want to know from you guys is, do you think one and dones are good or bad for college basketball? I mean, I'm not 100 percent adverse to the whole one and done situation. Um, I wasn't crazy about going right from high school to the NBA. And I'm not saying that because I think it's inherently wrong. If I was a genius and Lord knows I'm not. I could jump right to Google and make millions of dollars if I was that kind of person. And I, I understand how that works. But I also understand I've heard so many stories about guys that made that and, and it didn't happen for them. And at least you have some kind of a, a feeder system. And, I, and, and I'm OK with the whole G League feeder system, because let's say the 10 best um, prospects in the country say that, say, 15 McDonald's All-Americans don't ever go to college. They go right to the G League or right to the NBA. In my opinion, the college game isn't going to suffer. There's still going to be a great NCAA tournament at the end of the year. There's still going to be a bunch of buzzer beaters and crazy March Madness, even if there was not a, uh, a R.J. Barrett in the field. I mean, I, and I didn't say uh, Zion Williamson because, frankly, I don't think we've seen anything like him in a while. And I remember when I was at the Orlando Sentinel, I did a story about those groups of great high school players that went right to the NBA. And I, I was working in Tampa at the time. I drove over to a couple Magic games over the course of a few weeks and talked to LeBron James and talked to Sean Livingston um, and talked to some guys, uh, I think Rashard Lewis, about – it was right around the time of March Madness. And they're, they're, they're all watching every minute of it as well. And you ask them, you know, do, do you miss not ever taking part of that? And uh, some of them said they didn't. LeBron James said, no, I don't. Uh, but he was going to Duke, by the way. If he had decided right. to go to college, he was going to go play for Mike Krzyzewski. He didn't sit around and talk and talk about, you know, oh, I wish I'd done this. I wish I'd done that because obviously he made the he made the right decision for himself. But I remember sitting there and Sean Livingston's bouncing a basketball, sitting on the bench, saying, you know, I watch I watch the, every one of these games that we can watch when we're not playing, and I think all the time that I would have wanted to do that. And so I thought I just think that you look at it from a different perspective from these guys and nobody is looking back on saying, you know, we miss LeBron James and March Madness. I don't think we'll do that. If there is uh, still uh, an avenue for guys to feel right for high school into the pros, whether we're watching them in the G league or whether we're watching them in, in the NBA, they'll still have great games in March and they'll still be great final fours. And we'll still be 
you know, people still be talking about their brackets and uh, all that stuff that we deal with now will still will still be viable, still be there. I'm not a big fan of the one and done. I mean, it's almost like a generational argument now. I don't know exactly how long this has been going on in this current format. But every few years, you know, they look back at whether it's good or whether it's bad. And my my t- my thing is, yeah, you're getting to see a great player like Zion Williamson. And guess what? I mean, I enjoyed watching him too. But I would have been fine if Zion Williamson was in the NCAA tournament because it was still Duke. It was still Michigan State. There's still going to be great games. I'd rather see him in the G League developing or either already in NBA where he's going to be anyway. Why take a seventh-month detour to college when everybody knows he's not there to study anything except basketball? And, you know, it, it really, I think we're at a point in society where people bring attention to frauds. And this whole thing with college basketball, I think, is at the point where all you hear about in college basketball right now, besides the tournament, is all this scandal stuff with the coaches. I mean, mm-hmm. whether it's Bruce Pearl, who is in the Final Four, the LSU coach will wait on what happened right before the uh, you know end of the regular season, and that's not good for your sport. That's not good for your game. If there's so many bad characters behind the scene and it seems to be accepted, why don't you create a system that that's better for everybody, for these schools who don't have to endure this bad public relations, for these coaches who feel for whatever reason they have to pay these handlers to get these players. I'd like to see it back to where the people playing college basketball are people who really want to play at those schools and really want to hopefully get an education. I mean, I don't have any problem with if you're in college three years and you're just, you have a great opportunity to leave after your junior year, like football, and to go ahead and start earning your career, uh, earning a living, and, and hopefully, you know, maybe still get your degree too. But the whole concept of, hey, I'm going to go to Kentucky or Duke or somewhere for a year head on to the NBA. I mean, it's not tricking anybody. Especially when it's programs like Duke. I mean, elite academic institutions that are basically just serving as, you know, temporary landing spots for guys on their way to the NBA. Yeah, yeah look, I was watching the, I think it was CBS, during the term or ESPN, one of those shows, and they were having a debate whether Zion Williamson is the greatest player in the history of Duke basketball. <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, he may be the best, he's probably the best one-hit winner, but there's no way that his career at Duke can match up legacy-wise with guys like Grant Hill and Christian Leitner and Bobby Hurley, guys who wanted to be at Duke, guys who wanted to play college basketball, guys who had great success at college basketball. Maybe I'm old school, Adam. Maybe I'm old-fashioned. I don't know. I just like it when you can identify with these guys more than really six months. I mean, Zion Williamson, when did he... When did he enroll in Duke? Like last summer, July? So here we are in, what, May or April? Nine months later, seven months later, he's his time at Duke's pretty much over. Yeah, It was a, it was a flashy seven or eight months, but I don't know. I'd just soon him already be on the Lakers and helping LeBron. Well, two guys who are never one and done are Chris and Scott, because they come back every week. So, guys, thank you so much as always. Make sure to check out their content at FloridaGators.com. Follow Scott at GatorsScott. Chris is... You guessed it, at Gators Chris. And we will talk to you more about the Orange and Blue game coming up next week. All right. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Adam. It's not every year a talent like Trinity Thomas decides to come to college. But luckily for Jenny Rowan and the Gators, she chose to do just that wearing orange and blue. 
The Pennsylvanian has big dreams of Tokyo in 2020, but first, the task at hand is to bring a title to Gainesville. Gator Vision's Shelby Grenath caught up with Trinity prior to regionals getting underway in Oregon and asked her about the start of her tumbling days. I always went to the gym with a smile on my face, so I was excited every single time I went, and um, it was challenging, but fun at the same time, and I was always ready to learn something new. When did you realize that, I mean, you're pretty good at this, so was there a moment, was there a competition, um, what was that like? Um, it took a while for me to realize that I was pretty good. Um, people always told me, but um, it took me a while to realize it for myself, and I think I started to realize it as I grew up, and my mom really encouraged me, and I figured it out. So you're a member of the U.S. national team. What has that experience been like for you? Absolutely amazing. Um, so special. Um, not many people get to do that. And to represent the U.S. is super incredible. And I've met so many people and been to so many places. So really cool. You mentioned you have gotten to travel a lot um, being on the national team. Where are some of the places you've been able to go to compete? I've been to Italy a couple times. And then I've also been to Japan. Wow. And I was in Tokyo. So Favorite place? Tokyo. <laughs> your last year of high school was technically your junior year because mm -hmm. you came a year early. And you kind of willy-nilly decided, I'm going to try diving. I'm going to try track. What led to that decision on top of gymnastics? It's not like you took a break. You did all this in addition to training at such a high level for gymnastics. Um, I had always wanted to try other sports before, but never really thought that I could. Uh, my mom always told me that I could, but I was like, no, I gotta, you know, I gotta be in the gym, gotta do this. So, um, my junior, senior year, <laughs> um, I really decided, hey, I'm gonna do what I wanna do and cause this is my last chance. So I decided that I was gonna try track and diving. Diving was one of the sports that my mom was like, hey, I think you'll be good at it. You should try. And I was like, uh, I don't know. But then, um, decided to do it and I'm really glad that I did. I will start with diving. What were, I mean, it's similar to gymnastics, mm -hmm. but you're going head first instead of landing on your feet. So what was that transition like? So at first I just, I actually still did a lot of feet entrances and only, um, a few going in on my head. So like actual dives, but, um, so going on in on my head definitely was something I had to get used to. It was really weird at first. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to get lost in my gymnastics. Like, I don't know about this, but, um, I think it helped my air awareness and I, I had fun doing it. <laughs> you started receiving letters from colleges when you were in eighth grade. What was that attention like for you and how did you handle all of that? Um, it was a lot because everybody told me it was a big deal and I knew it was a big deal. And so I knew all my friends were like, some of my friends were also getting letters and some of them were even committing. And I was like, mom, I have to commit too. And she was like, no, no, like, wait, hold on. You don't know what you want to do. You don't know where you want to go. So you need some time. So what ultimately made you choose Florida over all the top schools you were looking at? Um, after I took my official visits to my top three, which were LSU, UCLA, and Florida, it definitely gave me a better feel for this whole entire school. And um, after I took my visit to Florida, I just like knew there was something super special about this school and the team, the people. It was just um, so me. And I felt at home here and I knew that I was going to get taken care of here and I was going to be happy. 
in the fall you came in in the summer you were training not only for the collegiate level but also for the national team what was that like for you I just came in and did my thing um it felt like I just jumped right in it didn't feel like I had to get used to the team or like anything like that they just took me under their arm and that was like really good and training with Jenny Owen and them it was just great it was easy your skills for the national team are obviously a lot harder than what you're doing at the collegiate level. So how do you mix those into your training? So um, I just do my national team skills, like my elite skills, as like needed. That way I can just keep up with them, you know. But right now I'm really focused on college, so I'm doing my college routines. And right now I'm not really worrying about the elite skills. That's going to be after season. So Perfect. So what was your freshman year like for you? amazing just super fun super um special and this team is just amazing and they have pushed me and I know that I've pushed them and we're almost done but we're um not quite there yet so we're excited to be here for regionals and we're excited to go to NCAAs and show everybody what we got what was it like competing in the O'Connell Center competing in front of Gator Nation amazing I've never had that many people cheering like for you like for me you know um I've been in big meets but everybody's cheering for their girl you know like just a lot of but um when you're there in the Odom and Gator Nation you can hear them yelling your name and it's just amazing super cool now, for the first time ever, you received something that no SEC gymnast has ever done. You received an SEC honor every time you competed. What does that recognition mean to you? It means a lot to me because um, I know how hard I've worked. And just to have that, it just like shows how hard I've worked. And um, um, I'm not done yet, and I can't wait to keep going. You were actually named SEC Freshman of the Year. Congratulations on Thank that, you. by the way. What, I mean, how special is that? And and kind of how do you use that as motivation? Super special because um, I know that there's some really, really talented freshmen. And for me to be named Freshman of the Year, just really close to me. Like, it's just nice. And um, it just shows that I just need to keep working because I know I'm not... I'm not as good as I can be, and I just want to keep getting better and keep working hard. So then you actually just competed at your first Southeastern Conference Championship. What was that experience like? What was that atmosphere like? It was definitely nice to be back on podium, so that was really cool. And being there with a team was super different from what I was used to, so I had a great time, and we had a lot of fun, and there were some highs and there were some lows, but we just fought till the end, and it was really cool. I know you guys really wanted that title. You came in second. So how hungry, how motivated does that final make this team? Obviously, that wasn't the outcome we wanted, yeah. And um, I think we came back into the gym and put our game faces on, and we said, we're going to do this. We're going to fight for this. We're going to do everything that we can so that we come out on top next time. And um, I think we're doing that, so... Heading to Corvallis for the regional championships. Postseason format is a little different this year. Um, this will be your first year anyway, so it won't be too different for you, but it is competing back-to-back -back days, and then in two weeks, hopefully, competing back-to-back -back days again for nationals. What is the mindset going into that competition? For the whole team, our mindset is just be normal. Do exactly what we've been doing in the gym. Put your best routines in your pocket and pull them out when you're ready to go, just to do our thing. What has been the best part about being a member on this team? 
just the love, just like so much love on the team and so much passion. And we all want to do amazing and we all have the passion for gymnastics, which sometimes in elite it's hard to because it gets difficult sometimes. I just think college really is so much fun and we all have so much fun out there together. And the best part is just we're doing it together and having so much fun. Why is it great to be a Florida Gator? Because if you're not Gator, you're Gator Pete. <laughs> no, um, I think it's great to be Florida Gator because it's a special place. The support system here is amazing. And having all those girls in the crowd or like lined up beside the floor when you're going is so special. And um, we're really loving team and we have a lot of fun. Well, Trinity, thank you so much for your time and good luck the rest of postseason. Thank you so much. <laughs> And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Head to FloridaGators.com for info on all of this week's action, and make sure you come back next week for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Gainesville. <laughs>